0: Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence. Self-confident. Unconstrained. My name is Joe Armstrong and you are listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Gary Spehar. Gary Spehar's story is unlike many others. The first part is pretty standard for a young, aspiring musician. He started out on a Stella guitar given to him by a kindly uncle, honed his chops, and hit the road. There was some success, he bummed around Europe, playing anywhere that would have him, and he returned home and formed the Spehar brothers with his brother George. They worked hard, earned fans, and opened for artists like Boz Skaggs and Towns Van Zandt, but Spehar hadn't built the kind of career that prevented him from leaving the popular duo not long after he and his wife Sue learned that they had a second child on the way. But Spehar hadn't built the kind of career that prevented him from leaving the popular duo not long after he and his wife Sue learned that they had a second child on the way. Spehar’s selfless, courageous choice brought him another kind of success, this time in the banking world, thus providing a stable, financially secure life for his family and affording him the ability to buy a home as well as a nice guitar. He never stopped tinkering with songs, however, and when their kids were grown, Spehar and Sue began writing songs together, filling their compositions with imagery, characters, and real-world experiences derived from their formative years growing up in the wilds of the Colorado Rocky Mountains, as well as their own adventures traveling in the American West. But even after returning to music in earnest after a three-decade detour and tapping Los Angeles' legendary band I See Hawks in L.A. to flesh out his songs in the studio, Spehar learned that life has a way of changing your tune. Sue passed away from cancer during the final stages of producing his long-awaited comeback album, I Hold Gravity. Her shadow and her spirit loom large over that now-completed album, and Spehar has dedicated his reinvigorated music career to the memory of Sue, his life partner and creative muse. I hold gravity as beautiful and fearless and it presents the kind of wisdom and perspective that can only come from someone who has the benefit of experience and who knows that tragedy is part of life Welcome to Independence Day Gary Spehar. Hey Gary
1: how you doing Joe? I'm good, good to be man. here
0: Thanks for coming out my pleasure. I'm sure it is It's been a long time since you've been doing music stuff so congratulations welcome back
1: thank you very much yeah We're... 30 years in uh, some respects 30 but in some respects been doing it the whole time.
0: It's funny. I mean, I myself kind of stepped away from music a little bit. I never stopped writing at home, never stopped playing, never stopped like dreaming of my next g- guitar pedal purchase or tinkering with songs. But there comes a time in your life sometimes when you you kind of have to step away for any number of reasons. For me, it was like when my last band exploded like a supernova and, you know, uh, I'd been dating a member of the band and then that collapsed and then Different players moved to different parts of the country, and everybody just had to go their own separate ways. Like I, just, I just couldn't do it for a while.
1: For me, it was when my family exploded like a supernova. Yeah. So my second daughter Christine was born, uh, and I, my wife was supporting us basically. I had a very going and blowing music career, but I wasn't making yeah. any money. So. Uh, Made the jump into a day job. Well, take me
0: and, back, like to that time a little bit when you're when you're you know you because you had a music career like you just yes. said like you were kind of making a somewhat of a living at it like and oh, you were yeah. an unknown person you're out touring and writing songs.
1: No, my brother George and I had a uh, we started out as a acoustic duo. Uh, always songwriters uh, worked out great parts. Had that sibling thing going where the the just a magic blend of your voices. Yeah. So straight out of the box, we we got great gigs, and we you know we we worked our parts and everything out, even though we weren't great players. So we sounded a lot better than we were, and we uh, we we did really well. You know, so we very early on we were opening for John Fahey and Sylvia. Just uh, probably the first two, three, four gigs that we did. And we uh, hooked into in the scene in Denver. That day and age was, was back in the '70s. So we're, I'm talking early '70s, mid '70s. Was a great singer songwriter folk scene going on, yeah. in one of the some great venues, the Oxford Hotel in Denver, was just legendary. So there we opened for Towns Van at and Bill and Bonnie Hearn, and uh, played with Michael Murphy and some of those people, and it was just a golden golden era for that sort of thing.
0: So you're one of the few people I can say I know that have. So you must did you meet Towns because like in some circles that would make you like an anointed saint. Just Towns the Van fact that you stood in sure. the same room yeah. with him.
1: Yeah, I have a nice neat little poster from the Oxford. It's, it says uh, lots of lots of uh, requests for both these acts, Town Van Zant and George yeah. and Gary Spear, So
0: Yeah, that man draws a lot of water in singer like anyone who knows their way around a song yeah. knows the name Towns Van Zant. Yeah. Um eccentric man as I understand it.
1: He was He was always quirky but uh, yeah. and,
0: but you know he had that great way with
1: uh, lyrics and it yeah. just his is, is Mannerisms on stage The way he presented himself It was just always so Like you're in the middle Of a living room But really freaking solid You know No Nothing Crazy going on On the guitar Or anything But yeah. just the storyteller Was you know Just Totally enthralled you.
0: Yeah he elevated You know Songwriting For some people Isn't really a thing Like songs are The thing that they do When they're playing Right Or it's just a set of chords Because they have to play something So that they kind of Come up with songs But like that guy You know And a handful of others too uh, Elevated it to high art they created. They eked out like a whole new thing, and it was around that era. You know, it was like when James Taylor got signed, and like mm-hmm. all that that singer songwriter thing started to happen in the early seventies. So you were part of that.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, you know, for me, I mean, I like to think of myself in that way too. It's it's something that I do because it's uh, I just cannot not do it. Yeah, and it's my way it's my religion it's my way of addressing those things in life that we need to all address as human beings that we sometimes don't so you know digging in that way and as a young kid i think towns and a lot of those writers too you um if you don't have a real formal music training and you're not really even formally, for instance, thinking of the whole Nashville way of writing or anything, right, it's right, just kind of going out there and going and blowing because you're a kid and don't know anything, and but you want to really be serious about it and write, right, you come up with some very quirky ways of doing things, right. But if you're decent at writing, you, uh, it also makes sense, yeah. You know? And so it's uh, it's uh, got the quirks to it, but it's also got the substance to it, and, it's, and
0: uh, yeah, definitely. I think that well, you said something that I've said a million times, which is I can't not do it. Yeah. It's like a compulsion. You know, like I have a friend who sells very expensive stereo equipment. He works for Macintosh these days with the blue VU meters. Uh-huh. Everybody knows what Macintosh is, right? And he's been I've known him since college and he's been selling high-end stereo equipment since college and he keeps busting my chops constantly. Joe, I need to get you a better stereo. You know, and he's, he's like, he'll give me a slam and deal, but even his slam and deal is something I can't afford. And I was right. telling him, well, John, my friend, I would rather put that money into a new microphone or a new guitar or like my amp needs to be repaired, or I gotta drive to I don't know, Reno to play the show or whatever it is I'm doing, right? So it's like, and I always tell them, like, well, hey, I'm, you're on the output side of music, and I'm on the input side of music, and all my money goes into that kind of stuff. And as yeah. much as I would love to have a nice stereo, like, my money goes elsewhere. You know what I mean? And, and the I joke is, like, I would, I would have a much better stereo, I guess, is what I'm yeah. saying, is if I wasn't a musician, I would have a better car, a better stereo, and better stuff, maybe. I don't know.
1: I'm one of those guys that was... I was always completely focused on writing songs. Yeah. And I've fortunately been able to hang around guys like Paul and my brother George and Bobby Allison, people that uh, who were much more practiced and had much more vocabulary in terms of just being great players. Yeah. You know, having all the chops for that. I'm a decent player. But yeah. I, you know, my focus was always drilling in on songs. So, you know, and I was good enough at it, I guess, that I attracted those guys, too. So... I had the best of both worlds in terms of, uh, you know, being able to write and being able to have people that could bring them to
0: fruition. Songwriting is an interesting thing. It's like that voodoo art um, where—how do I say this properly? It's like we're all kind of in our own little ivory towers, right? Uh Like some people, you know, are the types of writers who write with other people or write for—like they arrange for show choirs or they arrange for like—that's a more collaborative experience, I guess. But like so many songwriters— it's just that word quirky again. Like we've got our, it's our quirks that make us unique. You know, and it doesn't have to be super complex. Tom Petty over your shoulder there looks down on all we do here at the mm-hmm. Independence Day World Headquarters. And I always say oftentimes when it comes to songwriting, you know, W W T P D, what would Tom Petty do? Because he's it's elegant simplicity. You know, and Tom's yeah. Van Zant had that simple kind of thing too, where it's he's not reinventing the wheel, but it's still elegant. Yeah. And it's like, what is that quirky thing that each artist that we know and love has that makes it so unique, and you and have you have some of that yourself.
1: It's fun when you. Uh, there are very few people that, you know, for me, that I've been able to actually collaborate with, and uh, my friend Bobby Allison is probably the main guy. But it's it's hard to blend those quirks in when Paul writes with uh, a friend of yeah. his, uh, Rob Waller. You know, and you find yeah. that you find that magic going on together. It's really fun because yeah. you, you get that thing going where you're just talking, like we're talking now, right. and you. But you're talking about a topic that you're writing about, and right. it's it's that conversation where you know the guy that's listening to the other guy talk right. grabs some phrases from him because in a conversation this stuff comes out.
0: Yeah. And so, but even unto yourselves, I guess what I'm getting at is like that becomes its own little ivory tower. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like that, like how you do it and how that person that you're writing yeah. with does it becomes its own little ivory tower. Yeah. And I then see. over there is Neil Young's, and then over there is Joni Mitchell's, and over there is Tom Waits, and over that's like everyone's like operating in their own, like they create their own way to do it. Like the metaphor that I love to use for songwriting is, or musicians in general, is that we're not like lawyers. If you are a lawyer, you want to become a lawyer. You are not born a lawyer. You might be born with the skills to become a lawyer. You know, an articulate mind, uh, problem-solving abilities, uh, whatever it is that makes you a good lawyer. Or a doctor, for example, like you might be predisposed to having those sorts of skills. But when you're a musician, I feel like you are born as a musician. You will always, and you don't, like as a lawyer, you become certified to be a lawyer at one point, or a doctor, you're a practicing lawyer. If you pass the bar, then you have a practice. And then at some point, like when you, it expires, because you have to keep up with that. And then you are now a former lawyer. I feel like when you're a musician, or an artist in general, I'll even expand it, you are that from the time you were born until the time you take your last breath.
1: I think there's an element of that. I mean, some guys obviously come out of the box a lot better than others at it, but for me, it took me... uh, Took me some serious work to get to be well. I'm not a really saying that doesn't have to work. <laughs> I in no way, way I know. am I getting
0: ready. Rid- yeah. You definitely have to. You know, people have to work at it.
1: But it was it was in me. It was something yeah. that uh, you know. I don't know why I picked up a guitar at 14 and yeah. I just immediately started writing songs. I wasn't into learning how to be. Yeah, that great of a guitar player. I was into it, but I was more into writing songs. Well, let's
0: talk a little bit more about writing songs. But first, I want people to hear you've got a brand new record, yes. and I want people to hear a track from this because this is good stuff. And there's another story that we're going to little save for this because this record has got a theme to it, and it's very deep, and it's very it's it's a tragedy in some ways. Um, but the record is beautiful. It's called "I Hold Gravity," and it's coming. It's just come out very, very recently. So people can pick it up on your website, which is GarySpehar.com. Am I saying it properly? Correct. G-E-R-R-Y-S-P-E-H-A-R. Yeah, right. Is that, uh, It's a good Irish name, right? That's a good Irish name. Good Yugoslavian name. Actually. <laughs> exactly. It's my little joke. So, and there's someone else in the room here. We've mentioned him twice, but we're going to hold out to see who it is when we come back from playing this song. So there's someone here. He's also important to this story, and I've let on that he's a he. So first, this is Gary Spehar. His is the song, the title track from his record, I Hold Gravity on Independence Day.
2: I started loving you When our eyes met I locked on to your soul when I let go yet I stop loving you I leave your side When you see the moon Let go of the tide let go of the night Let go of the moonlight I love you I love you I love you, baby. Look up in the sky gravity, he calls the tune In the oceans dance into night Until he turns out the light. So travel-
0: My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. We come to you Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time. This week's guest is Gary Spehar. He's got a wonderful new record. It's called I Hold Gravity, and that is the title track from that record. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, Joe. Lovely to see you, man. Thanks for coming all the way to Glendale.
1: Well, living here, it's great.
0: <laughs> come forward. Uh, it's, it is, you know, it's funny. I kind of landed in Glendale accidentally, but I, I, like I kind of like it here.
1: I like it here too. My wife and I moved here in 86 when I had the, the banking job we were talking yeah. about and then uh, moved away to Lubbock, Texas in th- 2013 and unfortunately had to come back, not unfortunately for Glendale, but for the circumstance when she had yeah. her, she got cancer
0: yeah.
1: and we uh, had the City of Hope as her uh, hospital. So we moved back then and I'm here now.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, we can name her her name Susan. is Susan and it hasn't been that long that she passed September 19th so last my goodness year. i my my heart breaks for you i'm so i'm i'm sure you hear this from everyone but you were married for how long we were married for 40 years we knew each other for 50 i can't even imagine losing someone so integral to your life and being able to function
1: well um, i don't know how i do it i know the First six months, where basically I went into a cave, and thank God I had songwriting because it was my way to process. And I, I wrote, I think, forty songs in yeah. that six-month period, and then uh, basically forced myself out, out through the, with the help of some friends to yeah. just start booking things to get me out. I went to Borneo with my daughter Stephanie, who's an anthropologist and has a site down there. Booked some other things, and I'm back out in the world now. And uh, you know, I view. I guess what I try to tell myself is to not accept death as part of life is to dishonor life. It's there. Yeah. And I know what Sue would want for me, which is to go forward. It's what she always loved about me was just yeah that I'm a go-forward guy. So
0: Yeah. There there aren't words. I mean, I'm not going to dwell on this part of it for too long, but I just want to make sure it's understood, like how, how the gravity of that situation. Yeah. Um, in your life, and how much I, my, my heart breaks for you, and and how much respect I honestly have for you for, I don't want to say not letting it destroy you, but like you, know, like you said just a second ago, she would have wanted you well, this, this, to this, move on with you your know, thing. You're this, still uh, here.
1: This particular album was actually the Saving Grace, and uh, big thanks to Paula that we're going to talk here for just working me through it in those days, because... Yeah. She loved uh, the band that Paul is in called I See Hawks in L.A.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh, Sue grew up with the Beatles, absolutely adored them. Wanted John Lennon played at her funeral, which we did. But when she was dying, when she was uh, listening to music, it was always the Hawks. Nothing but. Interesting, even even over the top of the Beatles, which surprised wow. me. But, but she loved the Hawks. This sounds like a good opportunity to introduce Paul. We should, yeah. So he's very integral to this.
3: I don't know album. if I can live up to that intro. Uh, yeah, you Welcome, should, buddy. Paul
0: was, uh, Paul thank you. Lax L A Q U E S. Did I get that right? L A C Q U. Yeah, sorry, my bad. There's a vestige you'll see in there, I guess. Welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you you as well. Great to be here. I mean, he's been sitting quietly and patiently, you know, biting his tongue while we talk about all these other (laughs) deep topics. But you are tied to the situation both as a friend of of Gary's and also as the producer of this record. I hold gravity, which we just heard a song from a few minutes ago, and great work, both of you, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice.
3: Felt like a good fit. Uh, Gary, he said. uh, He'd, uh, he'd always been a big supporter of our band and he said, I got some songs. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, you never know. Uh, Right. Um, he'd played me his brother's stuff and stuff, but it's like, okay, that's, how's this going to work? And every song was excellent. Yeah. So after, after hearing 15 song songs, I'm like, let's do this. And, uh, so yeah, we, uh, we recorded over at, uh, Sean Norse's house with Paul Marshall and, uh. And overdubs in various places, and it it went very quickly. It was was a very good natural chemistry. So
0: to rewind just a little bit, you kind of knew him as a fan and a friend. More, more of a fan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: He would uh, Gary would host a series of house concerts that were fantastic, and you know, I mean, I knew he was a player, but yeah, my my first thing was uh, yeah, he's a he's a supporter of music. Sue and I had a great house over in uh, on
1: Brand, excuse me, on uh, Grandview. It was a big old place that had a, a super place to do music. In. Yeah, we just loved the Hawks, so we had them in there a couple of times doing that. And uh, basically, they knew us as the the guy with the big house that hosted yeah. the concerts. You know, and we we loved him. And then,
0: just in case people aren't aware, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just in case people who aren't aren't aware, I see Hawks in L. A. is I would call them like a legendary. I would say local legends, cause I, but I don't want to like make it smaller than it is. They're, like.
1: The best band in L.A. In my mind,
3: for my money.
0: Yeah, but you guys have been. I mean, when I say legend, I guess mean because you've been around a long time. Well, suddenly
3: we've been around a very long time. We started writing in 1999. Yeah, okay. I, uh, put out quite a quite a number of records. So, yeah, I don't know where the time went, but yeah, yeah. We, we've been around.
0: Well, it's it's a little page out of my life, but to me that sounds like yesterday. Like I feel like like 1999. I was like getting. I can remember getting ready for my like millennium party. Yeah. You know, distinctly in who I was hanging out with and the things that we were doing. So it it makes. It makes perfect sense. So, uh, I mean, when I was talking to, we'll try to get your band in here at some point too. I'd love oh, to have yeah. you guys come in and talk sure. about what you do. But uh, so then, now, Gary, like, what was it that prompted you to contact Paul about this? I know that you're a fan of the band, but there's a million people. There's a million ways you could do this. You could do this on your I've own. Done, Why them?
1: I've done it. Uh, I've done the Nashville thing. I, I, you know, over the years, I went down there and did all of that. But I'm telling you, the, for my money, Listening to the Hawks, it's it's the most... They probably have seven, eight records out now, and it's the most consistently well-written bunch of material that um, anybody that I know. So super fan of the way they performed, super fan of the way they wrote, all of that sort of stuff. Great players. So, uh, you know, it was my ideal situation, and I kind of knew them and was able to twist Paul's arm into jumping on board. And then, you know, for me, too, being the guy who hadn't really been out there performing or, right. or getting myself out in the world for 30 years, you you start developing a little bit of reticence about how yeah. good you are. You know? And so to have guys like Paul and Tommy Jordan, who's on the album too, is a great player,
0: appreciate it and like right. it
1: and dive in and think it's good. It's, well, like, you know, take it's a me back to that.
0: Take me back to that moment, though. Because, you know, you've, like you said, you know, your reticence, like you probably, there's that moment, like it's just like, a, it's almost like a date, right?
1: Well, these are, these are songs... Will uh, you, you go out
0: with me, I See Hawks in L.A.?
1: No, the back story here is that uh, Sue and I sold a house that he's talking about in 2013, moved down to Lubbock, Texas, and it was for some business I was doing down there. So it involved driving around a lot. And so we drove around a lot. And to humor ourselves, we wrote this body of songs that's on this, a lot of them, Sue co-wrote their own this album... So when she was fast forward now for two years later, three years later when she was, we were diagnosed with cancer. I wanted to get this out as a tribute to her more than anything. So that was the impetus for me getting uh, this body of songs out as a uh, as a concept album of you know, right. our travels. And so that drove it. And then I enlisted Paul, and he d- dove in. And uh, April, I think, of two thousand. 16 is when we really started. Not so long ago. Not so long ago, and we kicked it out. It went went three or four days of tracking with uh, Sean Norse and and, and Paul and Paul Marshall, and got that uh, bass, drums, acoustic thing down, and then took it into my home studio and Paul's home studio, did a lot of overdubs. Had it pretty much ready to go by September. Sue got to hear a lot of it. You know, and she loved it. She was just thrilled that you know, I was doing yeah. something again, and that I was doing it with the Hawks was a super bonus. Yeah. And then, uh, so before she died, before it was finished, but she got
0: to hear it all. But not too far. It was pretty close, right? The record was almost. It was. Finished. It was
1: done to the point where uh, we didn't have it mixed with a, it was a really good mixer. I was doing a lot of the mixing myself at home. So, yes, all the parts were there. Everything was put together. It wasn't uh, done to the point that you're hearing it now yeah. in terms of the, the snappiness yeah. to it, but.
0: Yes, she heard well, it Well, I mean, we, what a wonderful gift as a send-off from, oh, like, this plane it. of existence. And she loved you know, it I, I, than... I couldn't think of anything better than, like, no. if if I could share something artistic with my partner uh, and have her be an integral part of making it, and then... We can't... We don't choose when we go, exactly. I mean, okay. most people. I mean, I suppose you can take care of it yourself, but most people don't really get to choose. We. It, any kind of, any number of things can befall us and that's the end but it's the only guarantee for all of us so looking into that and like, in a way she didn't choose it but like, sending her off in that way is special beyond words. Well, for us in particular because when we were married,
1: she she's an artist. She's a great artist. You look at the cover art on on this album, there's a, it's all her. Those are a couple Mm -hmm. paintings that she did of, of me and her when we were kids and they're, you know, they're about six, feet by six feet they're huge things oh cool and she's done a bunch and so I wanted that on here too and for us in particular when we were married our um, our announcement was a piece of art she did it's on the album it has a a a guitar and a paintbrush below it because that's what we were we were artists yeah the kids all grown up now we were both before she found out she had cancer we were both delving back into our artistic careers she, she was too so yeah this was a kind of a neat moment for us to um to do that, so she was thrilled that I was doing
0: music again. Yeah, and just beyond thrilled. So, well, I mean, it's. I guess the the best stories have sadness in them, you know. Like all the people, my I have a friend who like he he says I like sad bastard music, and I, I'm, it's true. I do like sad bastard music, but I think it's because that that depth to me, or there's there's something you can't. I love happiness. I love being happy, and you know, and and jovial, and all those kinds of things. But there's like. It's hard for me, harder for me to like a happy song than it is for me to like a sad song. It's the human condition. It's the human condition. It, like yeah. we don't happiness is what we kind of all strive for, but we there's nothing to complain about and since complaining is a hobby, we got to have sad songs, right? Yep. All right, so you guys are here with some instruments. You've got beautiful old guitars. I want you to play a live song for us, and we're going to share this with our listening audience. They're going to dig it. Uh, and this first song, I think it's called, where is this?
1: Into the Mystic,
0: I think. Exactly, that's exactly I, right. So this is, uh, this is on the new record. It is on the new record. And this is not a cover of the Van Morrison song of the same name. This is, is your not, very own version. It is version. My,
1: uh, my song. It is uh, basically a rite of passage song. It's, uh, I grew up on a farming and ranching in Colorado. I was 13, my dad died, and my uncle, Will, took me under his wing, and I started working on his ranch. And uh, when I decided to do music and leave, um, he couldn't understand it. He was, yeah. he was I can remember the moment. He was driving up a, rich, uh, a ditch bank, stopped his truck, sat there, and we talked, and he was going,
0: how, how could you leave this? <laughs> I got everything I need it, right it here. Was, it was
1: my calling to do it, though. And so yep. that's what this song is about. It's about uh, you write a passage heading out in your own thing.
0: All right, so this is Gary Spehart along with Paul Lax. This is the song Into the Mystic on Independence Day.
2: He cracks a whip against the sky They raise their heads up high and fly Into the, the mystic They ride the ditch banks, give thanks and sing in the mystic. Where are you going? Why would you leave that mud on your sleeve? You'll go missing. He puts a saddle on the ground, surrenders to the sound he found in his death. And they say the goodbyes, flies across the sky to find out in this day Where are you going? Why would you leave That mud on your sleeve
0: My name is Joe Armstrong? You're listening to Independence Day, and thank you for doing so. Come to you Wednesday night, 7 p.m. There's all kinds of material on the Independence Day website, and that is indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. We have 180 plus artists on there. Each and every one of them has something to offer. So if you're bored, or even if you're not bored, drop by indepday.com and give a listen to some stuff on there. Individual songs, full episodes, short interviews, videos, uh, lots of entertainment value there. And it doesn't cost a shiny dime. So check it out. Please do, and this week's guest, so happy to add Gary Spehar to that list of people. Gary, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Joe, for having me.
0: The, the honor me. is mine. You've got a great new record. You took a very long break from music, and I want to talk for a little bit about that concept, right? It's easy to sit back and say, okay, I had a second daughter, had to get a straight job, right? Mm-hmm. But for those of us who have that compulsion in music, we can't not do it. I don't want to imply that it was thirty years of living hell, because you certainly must have written some songs and you, and you you had a family, and those are wonderful, wonderful things. But like, talk to me about that moment when you ha- like, when you made that decision. That's got to be like a drill on your temple, like, or on your forehead, or like being crucified, or or maybe I'm out of complete out of line. I have no, no idea. It was,
1: it was for me. I mean, that's that's pretty apt de- uh, description. But you know, by the same token, it was. Yeah, you know what am I going to do here? Yeah, you know I got I got a family. I got you know, my wife's working at Safeway supporting me. It's come on. So I had to step up. I went. I uh, put on my only jacket, which was a gray mohair. Went down to a penny stock firm in Denver and uh, walked in and told him they had to hire me. And he walked out and he said, "Lose the coat, kid," and I will. <laughs> so
0: I Have you promised to not wear the coat ever again. I, I we'll went, give you I a went job.
1: down in the uh, basement and studied for the Series Seven for three months. Passed okay. it, and you know. Quickly realized that I didn't want to do penny stocks. I wanted to do right. something a little, a little, a little less crazy than that. So yeah. I got into government bonds and worked with a couple guys in a, that were doing mortgage-backed securities. Got a job out here in L.A. and moved out here in '86. And never, you know, the music thing. I, I ended up. Running an office for Alex Brown and Sons out here, and, and like the 40th floor of a building out here, and I had, I moved down here from San Francisco, and I had the whole floor to myself, pretty much with a, another guy I was working with. But I would take my guitar, in because I was pretty much by myself, and right. morning meetings were like five o'clock in the morning, and I'd, I'd mute the thing and sit there and be playing my guitar while I was right. listening to them. And I was, I was making good money at the time and doing well for them, so they pretty much yeah. left me alone. But I remember this one morning when I, I had forgotten to mute it. Ah. So it was going over the entire system, you know. And at one point, the, the boss comes in. And he goes, uh, "Spehar, can we uh, cut the kumbaya?" <laughs> <So> I was, <laughs> wow. If I would have been thinking, I would have just kept playing and said, "It's not me." What are you talking about? What? What? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> that is my. That's like my favorite. You know, my favorite response when my girlfriend she's like, "What? Are you, what are you doing?" Like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I have no earthly idea. But uh, so, so yep, yeah, kept writing. Now here's the thing: because you had success in another area, monetary success, yep. uh, th- maybe that helps ease the sting of, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't. No, I don't know. It does.
1: It, it, you know, for instance, right now I can, uh, I'm, I'm able to afford doing this that I'm doing right now because of that, and uh, I'm a very lucky guy for that, and I'm a very lucky guy for just you know having the life I had and doing that. And I met people always refer to creativity as in the arts, but I'm, I've met maybe the most creative people I worked, I've i ever known were in the business world when I, was yeah. do, when I was doing some of that stuff. So great friends, you know, super people. I um, had a great time doing it, but I, it was not me. It was not what I wanted to do, you know, and the, the whole money thing, i very happy that I would do it and have it, but it's not the end all and be all that people think it is.
0: Yeah. Know, it's not at all. Well, it's, if it's a, just a goal just like anything else. Yeah. If you want to set out to be financially successful and you're willing to make the sacrifices necessary to yeah. do so, you know the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want to do. That's just, it's your choice mm-hmm. about your life. And I don't want to oversimplify it. Again, it comes back to, like I said before, you still have to put in the work. It's not like you make this choice one day and then it just, just rains money down upon you. You have no. to actually do work, no. whatever it is. But there are a limited amount of hours in the day. There are a limited number of heartbeats that we have, minutes that pass in our lives. So you choose how to allocate those. You know, and you made, you know, what you would call like the, the up man choice. I've got another daughter on the way. You know, my, my family situation isn't probably what it needs to be to have a family of four plus a dog and, you know, kids, you know, they're like, (laughs) as you know, it's like a black hole for money. Like it's always something. It's like, Oh, you know, Susie needs braces and Tommy needs football pads. And then next week it's a paint set and God only knows it never stops.
1: You know, what was cool about it though, Joe, was that I, um, I think now having done this record I'm actually better now than I ever was and I think uh, the maturity that I went through the process of maturing and writing doing all the writing I did right. you know it's it got me to a point where I didn't blow out my voice I kept playing so I kept my chops up on the guitar didn't go out and perform a lot so I wasn't yeah. comfortable in in that arena as I am now but still you know once I got my voice back uh, working on this album I, I was really kind of thrilled with what I was doing. It was like, hey, I'm probably better than I ever was. So yeah. that's that's the fun part of it. You know, there's a maturity, I <laughs> yeah. think, to it.
0: Uh, and I, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: From a performing standpoint, too, you, I don't care anymore. You know, it doesn't right. scare me anymore because who cares, yeah. you know?
0: I'm, yeah. Wisdom is a beautiful thing in life, and I think especially for men that take longer to mature than women, I feel we like, do. like women, you know, it's some ways we we never actually grow up. And I'm sure the women who are listening can probably confirm on a personal and <laughs> <laughs> macro level that that is definitely the case. Uh, but, you know, making that choice in your life, stepping away, you know, having a whole other thing. I mean, the uh, one thing, like in, a, in an amusing sort of way, I'm sure it afforded you the ability to like have a, buy a nice guitar to tinker around on. Yeah. You didn't have to have like a Yamaha kicker guitar. You could go buy something fancy if you wanted to. You probably had the money for that, I would assume. I did,
1: I had some nice guitars, yeah.
0: So, you know, it's, it's funny, there are so many times in my life, I've, I've tried, it's like that, that quote from The Godfather, which then they reappropriated in The Sopranos, which is like, as soon as I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Like music is, you know, I can't say I've tried to quit it, I mean, but I've tried to step away and I can't, I can't not do it. Yeah. I wish, there are times when I wish I could not do it, but I can't not do it. And here I am, still doing it. Well, you, it's, get... it's,
1: you know, it's your statement. It's my statement. That's what I want to do in my life. So we all, I'm, I'm amazed sometimes yeah. at the different things people get into, and and you can't, you know, place one above the other. Really, yeah. people get into them.
0: And, and if you love it, like one thing, you got to get out of the way. And Paul, you can speak to this as well. Like, I, you have to get out of the way right away. As as you get older, if you love doing music and you're still going to do music. Like, there's that whole, like, Craigslist thing. Like, when I moved to Los Angeles, I was in my early 30s, I think, and I was looking for a band, so you go on Craigslist, which is a thing that didn't exist back then. And back then, it was like a sheet of paper at the music store with those little tear-off tabs at the bottom. You know, play bass? Call me. Call call Joe. Um, One thing you have to get out of right away is, like, you can't say to yourself, I'm too old to do this. Right. Because it's a young man's game. And then those Craigslist ads back then, even back then, it said, like, you know, no one over 25 or no one over 30. You know, and it's like, you know, all of you people, you know, and sure, this maybe comes from an older guys' perspective. It's like you are showing your own lack of wisdom, or you are showing your own, those people, I mean.
1: I don't know where that stuff comes from. You know, it's, uh, I don't know where it comes from in this country that we don't respect our grandparents. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's, give me a break. You know, there, there, yeah. is a, there is a thing to wisdom and there is a thing to growing and maturing that, that matters. And Yeah. That's another thing that I grew into is, you know, I had that fear starting this album about, yeah. hey, I'm an old guy. Yeah. What the hell am I doing this for? But, right. you know, doing it now and having done it, it's like, hey, I got something to say. And, right. And
0: it may be, you know, there's, 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 there's a reason for this. With that wisdom that we were talking about before comes that, like, you know, I'll say a bad word, but eff it. I'm going to do it anyway. Just yeah. like you know, when you're a kid, you know it's everybody in the world. When you're a kid, is lining up to tell you, you can't do something. You can't do that. You know, you can't do this. You can't. You can't climb that mountain. Well, that's
1: one thing I really loved about the Hawks too is the erudition of what they write. It's it's really um, beautifully written stuff, and there's some smart things in there, and some difficult things to get your head, hands around. But you know, it's like Dylan. He writes this stuff that leaves leaves a palette wide open for you to go interpret it your way. He'll, yeah. never, he'll never tell you. Yeah, what it is. <laughs> He's just saying, yeah, what do you think it is? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I get I get that a lot with the Hawks, although a lot of things are straightforward too, but it's just a great body of songs. And, you know, it's an older, more mature group too. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's where you get that stuff.
0: Let's hear another live song. Okay. you've got excellent material, and I want people to hear more of this. And what is this, what's this next song going
1: to be? We are on to Mule Shoe Mules. This is about Mule Shoe, Texas. And, uh, we Not were driving, Mule Shoe, Connecticut. No, Mule Shoe, Texas. It's a dirt poor town. We were driving through it a lot. And. We saw maybe a dog or two, nobody going on there. We're always scratching our heads going, what the hell goes on here? So this is a, uh, there's a mule in the middle of town, a mascot, and he has a little inscription there that says, um, he bears the load on down the road to ease the burdens of mankind. So we thought that kind of fit the alternative economy that's going on today, and uh, it's called Mule Shoe Mules, and... uh, Kind of combines a couple of paradigms.
0: All right. Well, here we go. Another excellent song. This is Gary Spehart and Paul Lax on Independence Day.
2: Mule, shoe, mules, two, three, four. Well, hey, maybe last summer, maybe 4th of July, talking the Junior at the kid Fry rain wasn't falling, cotton was down Folks were hurting all over town But Junior had a crop doing just fine Up in California, they go down wine Said me and a missus want to help him out Could forget about this burning drought Sitting on the lights, blue dream Has angel tangerine Rollin' the interstate, packin' that view. You'll be a couple of mules, you we Well, here in God's country, they call that a crime, but God don't care. Nickels and dimes when the crops fail and the river runs dry and the only water is a tear in her eye. Down at the cowboy fellowship Thursday night, I had a revelation. Sight, loud and clear, his message came through. You gotta start packing, boy, that's the mules do. Oh, on the lights, blue dream hairs, angel tangerine. Rolling down the interstate, packing that view. You're just a couple of mules, you knew. Just a couple of mules, shoes, mules Northern lights, blue dream Hell's angel, tangerine Rolling that interstate, packing that fuse. Yeah, with just a couple of mules, shoe mules Well, I ain't going back, we ain't breaking no rules With just a couple of mules, shoe mules
0: excellent music gentlemen another another hit another uh, a grand slam I guess that remains to be seen whether you're going to make a billion dollars off of this record but I certainly hope you do and even if you don't you made a wonderful artistic statement so congratulations thank you very much it's... welcome back I keep for to sake welcome back to the music business it's, it's such as it is things have changed a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Since you've it's, been
0: gone.
1: It's heartening to uh that you know I'm getting that welcome back and a lot of reviews out of Europe right now. Yeah. A lot of airplay in Europe and a lot of great reviews coming out of there and it's really heartening. Tell me real
0: quick, like things have changed like from your perspective. Like I can see how it's changed. I've kind of been in it, you know. But you know, the last time you made a record, you couldn't record. There wasn't a computer to record on. Really, oh, I mean, no. I did all reel-to-reel stuff. Uh, it was all reel-to-reel, and you know, you, you actually had to have physical pieces of gear. If you wanted a compressor, and then you wanted another compressor, you had to have two compressors. Oh yeah. You know, this is like nerdery about recording technology, but it's very, very different now.
1: Very different, but you know it's very much more accessible it's it's fun to be able to sit and have the control you have like uh, yeah I, I learned Pro Tools doing this album to the extent I did, and I learned it good well enough to you know just record a lot of stuff to yeah. be able to cut and paste things to to fit the parts correctly and yeah and get it to get it into the shape that I wanted it to sound like yeah and then the, the Paul and I wanted it to sound like because we we co-produced this and, and he's a huge element in that, so as you know just just Putting the pieces together right yeah. is, uh, is something that Pro Tools makes very easy these days, a lot easier than doing it in the old days. The
0: technology is infin- infinitesimally more powerful yeah. than anything we had before. I mean, people always used to joke, like, well, the Beatles, you know, they made Sgt. Pepper on a four track. It's like, well, well, sure. But they made Sgt. Pepper on a uh, Studer or an, you know a $50,000 four track with Neumann microphones and incredible outboard gear and George Martin. And they
1: also put in their ten thousand hours, so they were Correct. a really practiced band that could go in and, right. and whack it out.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So but the technology, here's the thing, and this is this is what I want to talk about. We'll bring Paul in to talk about this. Is like I love the art of producing a record. I love that it's again, it's another kind of voodoo art because you it's like a tabula rasa situation. What is this going to be? Do these songs hang together do they have to hang together does that even matter like i love how artists and producers work together to piece something like that together because an album it's like a a snapshot it's like a fifth dimensional snapshot of a particular time or like a period maybe like a six month period of an artist's life and the producer helps them shape that so paul as the producer like talk a little bit from your perspective like you know gary comes to you with these songs and like what's the first thing you you think i mean obviously you have to decide that the songs are worthy and then where do we go from there
3: Yeah, well, it's always the songs first. I mean, uh, um, me and my friends come from a songwriting background more than anything, really. uh, We think of ourselves as songwriters. So, uh, uh, but the second thing, and the songs were great. I like the lyrics, the melodies were quite memorable. The chord changes are unpredictable and yet satisfying, which is a really, uh, that's a difficult line to tread. Yeah. Not be... uh, cliched and over familiar and yet deliver something that's you know makes people happy or 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 makes them feel whatever you want to feel and i I thought his songs delivered lyrically emotionally um and certainly melodically but the next thing was the guitar lines um gary's being very modest about his guitar playing he's a really good acoustic guitar player
0: Really good Well he damn well better be He's spent 30 years Woodshedding Well it, it, What what artist yeah. By the way let, let me talk about that For just a second As a short aside Like what other artist Gets 30 years To woodshed
3: There you go Good point
0: <laughs> Nobody
3: Tortoises and redwood Like I everyone think.
0: else Especially now Like in the modern age When everything Is live streamed And Instagrammed And YouTubed And Facebooked Like people Put their very first thing Up for all To see in front of God And everybody like you had a very unique opportunity. Yeah, you're right. I did, I, and I did. I did woodshed, and I did have a lot of good parts worked out. So, like but, I can uh, imagine, like you being in the campsite next to me up at Yosemite sometime, and yeah. like I hear you playing, and go over there, and like Jesus, God, where did this guy come from? Why aren't you playing? But out, I mean,
1: all that too. All that said, I mean, the producer's role. The producer is kind of like the director, right? And um, for instance, I'll tell you, give you some examples here. I hold gravity. I wanted to kind of take that into the police mode Paul slapped me around on that and, and it is the song that it is on this album because of Paul, the direction to keep it you know simple, to keep it um, just not ruin the uh just the effect of the song the, the, yeah. the heartfelt effect of it. that was all Paul uh, the God Lubbock. There's yeah. Some great acoustic parts in that, but there were about five or ten too many great acoustic parts yeah. in that before Paul attacked it. That's the so trick. he cut it he cut it down to, you know, to be the statement that it is right now. Yeah. Um I could go on and on. I mean it's just there's there's points where you need a third party who's really astute to look at from the outside because you're you're wrapped up in your own head. You know, you come up with all these great parts and you think every one of them is great and maybe
0: they are, but, you know, they're too much. And it's a very vulnerable position for the artist to open up and then trust another person with that thing that they've been living with for, because in some ways, like I've I've been thinking about this when I knew you were coming in, like you've had 30 years to Woodshed, but in some ways this is also your first album again. It is my first album. And when an artist has, like their whole life to prepare for that first album like all those songs and all those ideas it's all something you've had you know even for a young artist you know say an artist is 25 they've been playing their instrument for 10 years and they've been well, writing songs for 10 years
1: it's a that's a bit of a misconception because all of these songs are new these are all you know from 2014 on
0: that's correct but it's the summary of your life's experiences that brought you to Going write into, those songs. Yeah, that's even a though those songs may that's only a be two aspect years maturity aspect that goes into them. Yeah. It's uh-huh. all of your life uh-huh. up to that point that brings you to that point in those that life right. experience in those songs. And that's like that's where the sophomore jinx comes from because it's like every artist has their whole life before they do their first album, and they have two years to do their second album. And no wonder it, it, it sometimes doesn't feel like it measures up mm-hmm. because now they've, their situation has changed. And even though they do have things they've carried for yeah. that they didn't use on the first record... It's a very different experience. Yeah, to be that's something that's like
1: that. also the uh, the getting older thing, you know, the maturity thing. It's yeah. like you can, you you know, a little more about what's good and what's not, and when you're yeah. writing, and so you can you can, you can come up with a body of songs a lot quicker that are good,
0: and then yeah. you know you turn them over to a guy like Paul, and they get better. <laughs> so Paul, now when he comes to you with these songs, like uh, these are you know singery songwritery type songs. It's not like this is going to be uh, trip hop or this is going to be, uh, you know, electronic dance music or that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I do love the malleability of songs.
3: Oh like yeah, how yeah. you can
0: push sure. them and pull them into certain things. Like what what spoke to you? Because the instrumentation, you know, this is fairly traditional rock and roll instrumentation. But everything's where it should be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean in terms of like where that Wurlitzer makes that grindy note and where right. that slidey steel lick kind of echoes in just to give a little haunting nature in this this, this little part of this particular song, like. You know, we're we're all in this room. We're all well versed in how rock and roll and how singer songwriter music is put together. But then, what made you decide to make the choices that you did? I mean, was it just obvious from the get go? Um, you know, why did you go this direction with production?
3: I, it was it was a song by song basis. Um, I think Gary probably played fifteen or twenty songs right off the bat, and there were there were fifteen I liked right away. I'm like, and and it was interesting. We butt heads a lot, but in, yeah. in a pretty fun way. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, we have extremely strong opinions. And uh, that can be a problem if you're just not on the same page. But we'd, we'd, we'd quibble over, do you really want an F-sharp minor after that uh, D major, really? And he'd be like, yep, I want it. I'm like, this is crazy. But all right and then yeah. you know a week later I'm like damn it you were right. Yeah. And 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 I'd be right about something else. Uh, button in here we also um were fortunate
1: to bring in Tommy Jordan uh who was in a great band Gay Guitar, here in town is kind of a local legend and a, and then Chris Tuttle who's a uh keyboard player out of Nashville who uh plays with uh Raul Malo and Emmy Harris. from the Mavericks. Yep. So Chris that growling, all the keyboard stuff on on you hear on this is Chris, and so you know, I we sent stuff down to him, and he just did his thing too. And then we, Paul would, for instance, Mr. and Mrs. Jones. That that crazy piano, that crazy organ in there, that Chris did, and then Paul tacked on some blues guitar to that. And there's another song that Paul basically talked me out of doing jazzy vocals on, which I was I was heading into. <laughs> I just, love
0: hearing these insights of like crazy ideas that you have uh, about I, the I way was, you I was I was off into
1: jazz land with the
0: vocals on that,
1: and Paul had to beat me down on that big time. And he was right. You know, it's it's better. It's just a straight story song from one guy telling it. Yeah. So kind of Booker
3: T. As opposed yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, Bobby McFerrin or
1: something. That's the song.
2: Paul
0: talking. <laughs> Bobby McFerrin.
1: <laughs> Paul talking about the, um, on a song-by-song basis. Uh, that's a cool thing about this album is it's it's got a lot of variety to it. And it's because of the players we brought in, and just kind of treating the songs as individual little entities, and yeah. and, and looking at the the writing and the, the vocals. My vocal being kind of the glue that kept it together.
3: Yeah, and that, and that reminds me of something I wanted to say about uh Tommy and Chris and the Hawks that backed. Uh, it really is for me. Producing is pick the right players, let them do, and you sort of you know what they play like. I've played with these guys so much, Um I know. To a certain degree how they're going to sound and what they can also do if you ask them to do it and what they're going to come up with on their own. And producing is much easier than you think if you just kind of keep your mouth shut. Let them play. Let the song develop make a suggestion when it's really not going the right way. And I had to do that. We, we cut all the songs in three days. I mean, Paul Marshall and Sean Norse and Gary cut live, acoustic guitar, drums, and bass live, and just blaze through them. We really did have 15 keepers in three days. And I would only make suggestions when it was like, you know what? Forget it. This 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 groove isn't working. Let's try something else. Yeah. Other than that, they're going. They're really creative, solid players. They're going to come up with something. Yeah. Same with Tommy and Chris. They oh, kind yeah. of produce themselves. If you let them. Yeah. Just yeah. do what they do. They're very ima- that, that's why people are session players. Yeah. They get hired because they did some magic on the last one, and you know they're going to bring some new magic to this next session. So, producing in some ways is. I don't know if it's overrated, but it's really about not doing that much if you can get away with it.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, I would say not overrated in the sense that I, whenever I was speaking about the songs, you know, in the initial take where Paul would slap me off of an angle it wasn't the right angle to go with the song. It was That's a big
3: time producer thing. I, right I guess, that, yeah, <laughs> you, have to, you do have to be kind of ruthless. And that's, yeah. the artist can use some ruthlessness from... Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to Gary going, He's not gonna like this at all, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. You know, right. this bridge sucks. Okay, <laughs> this verse is this that's a, isn't That's wording. the exact word he would use. <laughs> the song is seven minutes long, and that's just you know I'm bored after three minutes. You really have to say stuff like that, but it's in the spirit of I love this stuff and look look how far we've come, and so we got to be kind of brutal here. So you do have to put on that hat yeah. once in a while of really being blunt. And that's yeah.
1: that's the initial kind of cut at the songs to mold them into the structure that you want. Yeah. So that's that was a big time production thing. Then what Paul's talking about with like Chris, I, you know, I took the I took the stuff that we did with uh, Paul and and initially in in just the, the basic tracks and sang to him. And then I just shot that down to Chris and said do your thing, you know, with some suggestions as to what I wanted instrument. To the miracle of
0: technology I might add. Yeah, and so he
1: he came back with like that growling organ part on um, Mr. and Mrs. Jones. You know, we told him we wanted to book a booker kind of thing and right. go for it, and there it was. Yeah, and then you could take that and hand it over to Paul, and he could. Uh,
3: I didn't, yeah, at that point, it's like my job is to go. Oh wow, that sounds great. Oh wow, that sounds great. Same <laughs> with Tommy's stuff, yeah. and uh, and same with uh, the guy who mixed it, Alfonso Rodanes, yeah. who's we're. Uh, incredibly lucky to get this guy. He's won five Grammys and uh he's a fan he really he's a you know, does his own kind of roots music thing. He's very much in the LA scene. And he just jumped on board with yeah. great and same thing. He sends us a mix and we're like, oh yeah. shoot. Yeah that's pretty much it. Yeah. You, you you get the right person on board and you're basically
0: just saying yes to a lot of very, stuff. You left the bagpipes off. Why did you leave the bagpipes off?
3: We did leave the bagpipes off. <laughs> the, bagpipes off.
0: Uh, the funny thing like the whole when when like, I love hearing people talking about that studio thing having produced records myself and having you know made records myself is the like the jokes like the ruthless jokes like the my favorite one out of our, our one session was uh, that sounds great you should save that for your solo album. Yeah. That particular part, or that, that guitar. Yeah, over, oh, yeah it's, I, I love that part. You know, that's so good. You should save that for your solo record. <laughs> right. And usually, it's the drummer who gets that one. Anyway, the other thing is, like, you know, your approach, Paul. It seems to me, uh, at least for this particular project, is more of a, a, a produce, production is a subtractive art. Right? It's it's what not what you're adding. It's what you're not adding, or what you're taking away. In yeah, other words,
3: it's it, a big. It's a. It's yeah. Subtracting is is probably half it with a different I mean Gary has lots of ideas I mean it's kind of frightening he's we're starting his next record in a week and he's got tons of it's it's for me it's like sort of holding the tornado at bay and like yeah. well, wait a minute uh, yeah let's uh with another artist, maybe they're not as prolific, maybe there's not 30 ideas right. per song, and so it's not subtractive. It's like, well, it's additive. there's really not that much going on here. The, in this particular case, there was such a richness of, yeah. and it continues to be, there's so many ideas that it really is, okay, what's the song about, and how do we get to that, and what what yeah? what do we remove to... Yeah, bring, the, bring the song yeah. forward.
0: Yeah, there's that example. This is the last s- stupid story I'm going to tell. But uh, Counting Crow's first record, August and Everything After, which sold umpteen bazillion copies, whether you like it or not. It's, it's very elemental if you listen to it, especially yeah. for the time that record came out in 93 or so when people were adding a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. We were just coming out of the 80s. So we were just getting over like the gated snare hangover and like the synth stuff and the Brit synth pop stuff. And I'm not saying that stuff's bad, but you know styles change. And T Bone Burnett, as the producer for that record, like these, Uh. you know, they were younger players who had kind of come out of that era. And I'm not saying that Counting Crows were going to be an EDM band, but the way I understand that he did the production on that record is that he would leave them alone. They set them up in a studio, or and it wasn't even a studio; it was a house. They brought all the gear into a house in the Hollywood Hills. And, and those guys would record all day, and then he'd come at the end of the day and be like, nope, 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 nope. And he'd take off all the tracks that they'd added. And what was left was that elemental, the rich guitars that make a statement. Because when a guitar is stark by itself, it makes a statement. It's not washed out by 15 other guitar parts. Or when that Hammond part comes in and, as a thing, it's not just a pad, you know, just to fill out the sound. It's actually an orchestrated part if you take that stuff away. And to have the courage to take things away, I think is like it's like double courage, or extra double plus courage. If we're going to use the Orwell speak or whatever they call that, right? It's a double plus good. I don't know. I, I, I have yeah, a lot you of respect do that, for that. Uh,
1: what Paul's talking about with the songs up front, uh, as a, a guy listening to these songs from the outside and, and being a great songwriter himself, he's he's got that ear and that sense about it. So yeah, that's a great thing to bring in up front. Yeah, and then as you paste all these great players on and. And you go at the end, and you're trying to put all the uh, pieces together right. It's the same thing, you know. You you end up subtracting a lot to just yeah. make the actual really hooky parts shine. Yeah. So
0: you have to know. Uh, God, what was what's, I think? It, maybe it was even Don Henley who said that. It's like it's like sculpting, and maybe he didn't say it, but like it, you're just taking away what shouldn't be there. Like in, within that rock mm-hmm. or piece of wood or piece of plaster is the thing. It's already there. All you're doing is taking away what shouldn't be there. And like and that's the skill of a good producer and to an extent a good artist is to know when that point is. You know, back in the day it was like no one to like a painter the metaphor is, and no one to put down the brush. It's all yeah. there now. And with the now it's kind of not the metaphor kind of holds up but it's not nearly as romantic It's like you need to know when to let go of the mouse. Because that's what you're doing, all this with the mouse. And it's like, okay, now it's, it's actually done. Don't do anything else. Don't add mm-hmm. anything else. We've taken away enough, and there's enough there. And all the stuff that needs to shine is shining in the right places. Yeah. Anyway, put, down,
3: put down the mouse. That's a yeah. good
0: motto. <laughs> Let go of the mouse. That's my thing. Uh, so now, we've referenced this already once. You're already, the record just came out, like in the last couple of weeks. I hold gravity. People should pick it up. GarySpehar.com. G-E-R-R-Y-S-P-E-H-A-R. Did I get that Correct. right? Heard- all right. Not so bad. Uh, I can function as an adult. I have opposable thumbs, large cerebrum. Uh, the this, this, this species is bound to take over the universe. Uh, you've got a brand new record, just came out, but yet you're already on the horse making the next one.
1: Yes. Uh, so we have a new commander-in-chief who deserves a little tweak here and there, so I'm giving him one. New record is called Bitch Heaven.
0: Oh, got, they have got the title for the whole record even, yep. so this, is, a, this and, is the title track you're going to be playing.
1: Uh, it's... It's commentary. You know, it's a protest album. Yeah. it is. And we've got a few pointed tunes uh, pointed directly at our new commander-in-chief, but we've also got a lot of tunes on there that are just more topical about issues that people should be thinking about. War. Yeah. Global warming. Some of those things. Taken from the perspective of, you know, a guy like me who has kids, wants to write about it. Yeah. So um, I think there's some depth there. I think there's some good... uh, sight. i think there's some good humor yeah uh and that's our next album it's called bitch heaven the tune we're going to hear is actually called bitch heaven Two, and this is a true story uh, woody guthrie was uh living in old man trump fred trump's apartment building in um new york but it was called beach haven and woody had a tiff going with old man trump about what he considered to be discrimination and so they got into it and woody started calling the, the place uh Bitch Haven, I think. And I changed that to Bitch Heaven.
0: And this is a song about Woody and Old Man Trump. Everything that's old is new again. And I wish history didn't repeat itself. So, Gary Spehar and Paul Lax, this is the song Bitch Heaven Two, on Independence Day. Three, four.
2: Old man Trump and Woody was close to not. You see old man Trump was a bigot and Woody was hot. So Woody led the wood to old man Trump, shine a little light. Read a state dump called Beach Haven or Bitch Heaven per Woody. Now old man Trump had money and Woody had song. Which one do you think you get to take along? My money's on Woody in his little wood box You can have old Trump in his bucket of pox Yeah, I'm taking Woody, you can have old man Trump Hey, I'm taking Woody to the end of my day There ain't no amount of money old man Trump can pay I'm going to change my mind, turn this ship around I'm taking Woody, I'm back in the solid ground Yeah Now way up in heaven, St. Peter, he saw the light And he went to the book and he saw, oh, it was right when old man Trump and Woody showed up at the pearly gate Which one do you think I in, end or which one the other fade? Hey, I'm taking Woody to the end of my day There ain't no amount of money old man Trump can pay, yeah. I'm taking Woody, he's standing on moral ground. That's right, Pete sent old Trump to bitch heaven where he belongs. And he sent his money with him, and he kept old Woody's songs. And he told old Trump to spend it down there in heaven, spend it well. Cause up here in heaven, Woody's singing and ringing the bell. Yeah, up here in heaven's wood is singing and ringing bells. Singing, this land is your land, this land my land. It ain't old Trump's land, this land is our land. From California to North Carolina, baby. Yeah, this land was made for you and me. This land was made for you and me, and not old Trump.
0: A little topical music on Independence Day, Gary Spehar and Paul Lax. That's the song Bitch Heaven. True story about Woody Guthrie. Perhaps you've heard of him. Man casts a long shadow in the songwriting world, and his, one of his nemeses. Uh, what was the old man Trump's name? Fred. Fred. Man, what is it? Why can't we get away from these people, man? What what's it going to take? I don't know. I don't know either, but um, we're we're working on it. I don't know. And as a short aside, as a man of like somewhat means who's been successful monetarily, I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that someone who is like monetarily successful actually doesn't like the guy. Because like so in our society, it seems like the more money you get, the more conservative yeah, you get. People
1: think money's everything and they think they're, you know, Mr Trump is to me the classic case of born on third thinks you hit a triple. Yeah. And that's kind of what goes on with a lot of uh, money these days. Yeah. Nothing against it. I love money. You know. Money's I, great. I, it's I, like anything I, else. I know you... lots of people with money who are just absolutely great people, but yeah. you know when you take when you make it your be all and end all and that's all you're about um,
0: I mean, right. You, you can good. use its power for good or its powerful not yeah. And I, I, you seem to be doing the latter And kudos to you for doing so So Gary Spayhart, it's been wonderful talking to you Thank you, uh, it's I hope you come back sometime We've got this new record coming out We'll have you come back, talk a little bit about that Which seems to me, it, it's your current pace That's going to be probably what, next month?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Possibly
0: <laughs> Possibly uh, And I can't wait to hear more of this stuff And I really wish people would get up and pick this record up It's called I Hold Gravity You can pick it up through your website, correct? Pick it up through the website. The website will direct you to uh, CD Baby and yeah. some other places where you can either download it or buy it. The usual, folks. And it's garyspehart.com G-E-R-R-Y-S-P-E-H-A-R. Got Thank it? Thank you, Joe. Thank you. So, and and uh, Paul, as well, I can't wait to bring your band. we get your band in here yeah, one of these Yeah, I would
3: love to. This has been a blast.
0: It's you have fun. got to get Great to auction,
1: and I want to let anybody out there know that if they are not listening to I Hawks in L.A., they are missing the boat.
0: Yeah, check them a out as well.
1: I-S-E-E Hawks in L.A. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I know them. Their name looms large in this town. Their name looms large for a reason, too. Thank you. Okay, so you just released this record, I Hold Gravity, and you've got another one coming out at some point. Like, is there, since you're you're already working on it, right yes are you thinking like strike while the iron's hot get it out of, like you're gonna do like some duran duran thing and have it out by the end of the year and have two records in a hopefully, year
1: yeah hopefully have it out by the end of the year
0: man man you are my idol i gotta hang out with you more often you're a very motivated man i am a motivated man my problem is i have too many hobbies i'm 69 years old i gotta be motivated man keep keep <laughs> at it gary keep doing what you're doing i'm glad that you're back uh you know and i think i, I want one of those little like um stopwatches from this twilight zone that stops time so i can woodshed for 30 years because i tell you what when i come back i'm going to be a bad ass guitar player (laughs) all right so paul and gary thank you so much for coming on the show it's been lovely to meet the both of you you are more uh, than welcome loved being here And check out their music at GarySpehar.com. So thank you to Gary Spehar and Paul Lacks. Also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Tapinski, and Sally Shackleton. The kind Tony Toneluk-Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out as well. And as always for Joe... And as always for Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything today, please be good to one another.